Hello, and welcome to the Philosophical Angle Podcast with your host, author Chris Angle. Hi, this is the Philosophical Angle Program, and I'm your host, Chris Angle. I'm the author of four books on philosophy, one of which is The Philosophical Equations of Economics. Along with me is my panelist and co-host and colleague is Rick Samuelson. He's a venture capitalist out on the West Coast. Good to see you, Rick. The purpose of the philosophical angle is to examine the nature of concepts being used in current media. And we're going to step outside of that just slightly this week, and because we think that uh, there's uh, trouble on the horizon in Europe, and we th- we're going to predict the dissolution of the European Union. Um, the recent uh, events and the ongoing events of terrorism in Europe uh, remind us of the problem of of inviting Islamic diversity through immigration into our respective countries. Uh, And it makes us ponder further the potential for for the dissolution of of the European Union, in addition to some of the economic um, problems that they're having. And we've often heard that representatives of the left, such as uh, former President Obama, declare that diversity is is good for America and diversity is is who we are. And... uh, uh, those politicians and President uh, Obama further stated that America was, was built on immigration. But look what it's done to Europe recently. Uh, weekly events of terrorism. Uh, but there are other problems that lead to uh, uh, our prediction of the coming dissolution, uh, which will be precipitated by the clash of cultures, not only of Europe versus Islam, but Europe versus Europe. So uh, I think the first thing for the philosophical angle to do is to really define culture. Uh, and so let's do that. Culture is, is that which we produce. Uh, and there's two types of culture. There's the behavior culture, and then there's the physical culture. And behavior culture is that which we produce in our behavior. That is uh, how we interact with each other in our society. An example of behavior culture would be um, the words that we employ in our language. Another example would be our handshake as opposed to a, a, a bow, which is um, common in the Far East. Uh, basically, it is how we behave when we cooperate with others in our society. Physical culture is that which society produces, its goods and services, and examples of this would be the architecture of buildings or, or any type of products that we produce, such as the technologically oriented products um, that are that now make the United States famous uh, uh, for their, such as uh, by corporations such as Microsoft and Apple and or any or any really any basic products. All products lend to the physical culture of a nation. So now we have to discuss and and understand what is the meaning of of good. Um, So we're going to define good, and good is that which brings us up away from misery. Uh, All life struggles to bring itself uh, up away from misery. And and you can see that as soon as a a child is born, uh, it it wants to survive and and it wants to, uh, to, to, to do better for itself. Um, all the way up to, uh, to the end of our lives. We all struggle to bring ourselves up away from misery. So uh, the reason why Europe will, will break apart is that there are individual countries that have individual cultures. And 
they are not one unity with one language, one border, or, or one culture. These uh, entities compete with each other, and uh, thus the coming breakup will uh, will be due to competition. And I can see you go, what? Yeah, um, and I can say that um, that competition is going to cause the breakup of uh, of the, the European Union. And so to explain that, competition is the convergence of two or more entities with the same priority, which is to obtain the same, <coughs> the same goodness by two or more life entities. So uh, that is when, when two or more life entities see the same priority of goodness compared to the to, compared to one entity seeking seeking the same goodness, it's if it's two or more, the goodness needs to be divided by two, obviously. So when one entity enters uh, its attention, uh, when when uh, when it centers its attention on one particular priority, and another entity comes along to participate in the goodness, this goodness is automatically divided. And so one of the basic dictums of economic is that is that all of life tries to avoid competition, especially direct competition. Um, the more life converges on the converges on the same priority, the more the life entity wants to avoid direct competition, and therefore the life entity tries to diversify. And so, what has this got to do with Europe? Well, all the European Union nations have individual cultures, and so production of goods and services will diverge at different rates. So we know that Europe is made up of, of cultures that have some points of similarity and some points that are not similar, and that these cultures produce different things at different and different amounts uh, at different rates, resulting in the, in, in the fact that some cultures are more productive than others. However, we know that the European Union is an attempt to unify Europe, well, at least commercially at the very least. The problem here is that the unification provided by the, by the EU is only partial. As mentioned, there are, there are differences in production of goods and services within the EU. And yes, there is a, a will to unify and make all equally the same. And, and, and one example of that is the, is, is the unification by currency. And so the, Europe has created the, the euro. However, with the dichotomy of the partial unification and partial diversification between cultures. This provides incentives to disassociate itself again into the individual countries. And, and thus there arises the problem that the European Union violates some of the condition of what creates a, a war or conflict. And there are four conditions that can generate a potential for war or conflict whether internal or externally with, with those outside of the culture. And these conditions are, first, 
is the economic dictum that all of life tries to acquire that which is good for itself. And thus the demand for the good is never ending and with no limits. Life entities always are willing to acquire much more of that which will provide even more goodness for themselves. And, and as we said, all of goodness is that which brings us up from misery. The second condition is the suppression of freedom. And uh, by the way, freedom is the will to be able in one's consciousness to construct one's own priorities of how to live. And then secondly, the will to effectuate these priorities. The third condition of conflict is the factor of motivation which fits inside the, the concept of freedom. With freedom and the effectuation of a priority, everybody decides that they will make a sacrifice to achieve a reward, which is the priority. And so we always use our uh, time and our effort and our information and knowledge and, uh, to, uh, uh, to make a sacrifice, such as going down to get food at the local supermarket, to achieve a, a, a award, which is to actually acquire the food, which is a, a priority. So everybody decides, everybody has, when they make a decision, they have the sacrifice versus the reward ratio. And the comparison of the ratio of the amount of sacrifice with the amount of the reward is the motivation. Therefore, the, the less the sacrifice and the greater the reward potential, the greater the motivation uh, is to effectuate that priority. The last ingredients of the creation of, of war or conflict is the suppression of competition. And competition is the convergence onto a priority by the two or more entities, but it is also the divergence from uh, the priority to another priority. And uh, competition happens when uh, these two or more entities converge onto the same priority, such as uh, a car market. Uh, many companies throughout the world converge onto the uh, onto a, the automobile market to sell their automobiles throughout the world. And uh, once they they start to converge on, on the, the automobile market. Uh, by the, once those companies start to converge on, uh, onto the market, then those those entities, those companies, try to diverge away from from direct competition. And they do this by making all sorts of different types of cars. Competitors always diverge because direct competition is inimical to the health of any one life entity. And so co competition has two parts, the convergence onto the same priority and always the divergence from the priority. And violations of, 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 these, of these conditions create conflict and initiates the potential for the rise of, 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 contact, of, contact, of conflict within or outside the, uh, the, the, in this case, the European Union. And the European Union is violating these conditions that we just enumerated. With the European Union is the dichotomy of, of the various degrees of production which is imposed on unification, such as through its unified currency 
and this violates condition one and 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 really condition four of uh, the rules of conflict. As for the production rates um, by the different cultures, the unification of the currency punishes those that produce more and uh, and they produce more in a more efficient way. And the reason uh, the more productive countries are punished is that the value of all money comes from production of goods and services. If a nation does not produce anything in its economy, the money of that nation is worth nothing. So if you're inside the same currency and one area is producing more goods and services more efficiently than another area, then the currency unification will help those who produce less. The reason for this is that as you produce with greater efficiency uh, more goods and services, the more valuable your currency will become because all monies are productive are backed by production. Thus, the more efficient areas of European of the European Union are, are giving in to the least efficient to some degree, and thus a, a large S is transferred. And so we can project that because of principle, because of these principles of conflict. Um, that people inside the more efficient area will, will not like it and will plead to actually exit the European Union. This, this transfer of goodness from the more productive to the least productive violates the first, uh, the will and demand for greater goodness, and, and secondly, it violates the will to produce less, it will provide less motivation because the reward is diminished. And, and thirdly, freedom is lessened with the European Union because of the additional rules and regulations which transfer wealth from one, from one part to another. And fourthly, there is the violation of the, the divergence part of the competition rule in that divergence is limited by the least competitive upon the more competitive. And, and, and thus these, these violations there seems to be a, a potential for the for the dissolution of the European Union, and, and so let's ask Rick what he thinks about this prediction. Well, um, I also agree that uh, the European Union can't last in its current form. Uh, if you look at the Catalan uh, protests and the kerfuffle uh, going on there, which is constitutional crisis. What, what it's fundamentally about is the fact that Catalan is wealthy, relatively wealthy within Spain, and has to subsidize other parts of Spain. This same problem, and here, of course, we're dealing with one country and one language. And we have, even here, we have a constitutional crisis going on, which remains unresolved. Um, Europe writ large is the same problem, as you rightly point out. So you have Germany um, cross-subsidizing Greece uh, and other countries. The Netherlands does the same thing. The wealthier northern countries are essentially subsidizing the poor southern countries, broadly speaking. Um, and any 
sensible person knows that's unfair. And there are limits that people will tolerate. Uh, it happens in every country. There is some cross-subsidization that goes on in every country. It happens in the United States and elsewhere. But there are limits to what will be tolerated. Uh, and we're seeing those limits. We see, we're seeing now what those limits are. Um, and Angela Merkel, in particular, will go down as the most divisive and catastrophic leader, European leader, of, of the last 50 years. And the reason is, by inviting upwards of a million uh, Muslims into Europe, she tipped this uh, boiling resentment that's been there a long time over the edge. Because here is the ultimate act of subsidization, right? You have taxpayers in Germany and elsewhere, according to Angela Merkel, who should be subsidizing um, for humanitarian reasons uh, the Muslims who are, are indeed suffering in Syria. There's no doubt, no, there is no doubt about that. Um, but the reality is these people don't speak German. They cannot engage in highly productive activities in Europe. They don't speak any of the languages. They don't have the skills needed. Uh, so inevitably, there has to be um, subsidization in some form um, to allow these people to survive in a high-cost location versus a much cheaper location, such as Syria. Uh, not only that, um, the insanity of this policy um, is clear in the numbers. If, if Europe had decided, instead of inviting a million people uh, into the European Union, to have assisted them within their own country, okay, if they had taken the stand that others were suggesting that uh, safe zones be created in Syria militarily, for example, um, even Hillary Clinton was advising that, uh, to Barack Obama, of course, he did nothing. Um, they, the estimate is they could have helped ten times as many people for the same cost. Ten times as many. So another way of looking at that is it's entirely agenda-driven. It's not results-driven. There's no, there isn't um, a desire to render the most efficient form of aid possible, there's rather a desire for virtue signaling. That's what this is about, virtue signaling. It's not about helping the greatest number of people, given that uh, finances and resources are always limited, they're never infinite. Uh, it's about virtue signaling, okay? That's all it's about. And voters recognize that. And if anyone is responsible for um, accelerating the ultimate dissolution of the EU, um, I think it would have happened anyway. It's Angela Merkel. She's the one who's responsible. Uh, she had the gall to think that Germany could take a, a unilateral decision and foist it upon the rest of the European Union, which is actually what happened. All right, so instead of the European Union... Instead of the members, broadly speaking, 
making a decision. You have one leader, arguably the most powerful leader of the most powerful country, most, certainly the most powerful economy, foisting um, unilaterally, like a dictator, he's just like a dictator, a decision upon the rest of the European Union, which involves, by the way, the same old problem of socialist mentality subsidization, which again brings us back to Catalan and the fundamental constitutional crisis there. So how can it be that even within a country where the same language is spoken and resentments are so high that you have a constitutional crisis brewing and you know, a portion of the country, and one of the wealthiest, by the way, wants to break away from a state uh, to which they've been a member for eons. That's how bad this is getting. And I point to Angela Merkel as the source of this. If you want to know what the source of the uh, resentment in, in Catalan is, go to Angela Merkel and what she did initially with taking immigrants from uh, Syria and elsewhere in the Middle East. How are the two connected? Yes, absolutely. And because you and because you're seeing you're seeing manifestations of this resentment, you know, rise and fall. It, it, it you know, several Euro Eastern European countries absolutely refuse to take on the refugees, and it's all it, it all stems from the same reason. Um, the problem with the EU is fundamentally this, and it's something no one likes to talk about. If you look at the growth rates, um, if you look at the um, employment levels, if you look at the general uh, GDP per capita, everything is lower than the United States. Why is that? Are the people dumber? I mean, it's the same, very similar gene pool. Uh, but for years, this has been the case. Years and years and years. Uh, unemployment rates outside of Germany and some of the other northern countries are double digit, and they have been for years, even when the economies are quote unquote uh, booming. Growth rates have been lower, significantly lower than found in the United States and certainly Asia for years and years and years. So you have a system because of this overlay of, 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 of a, um, a, a state upon a state that is inherently inefficient. You have State, uh, country level governments that have significant sovereignty, but then you have a state, uh, a mega state, the form of the e European Union with all its rules and regulations and inefficiency and incompetence that is always associated with governments overlaid on top of, uh, you know, another, another set of structures which are also inefficient, uh, uncompetitive, ineffective, incompetence, and not good at allocating resources. I mean, that's the problem with government, right, uh, with all its regulations. And all these problems are multiplied. They exist in the United States. They exist elsewhere. But they are multiplied by the fact that you've got sovereign countries with different languages, as you rightly point out, subject to this uh, mega state that has all the usual problems. And we see that in the high unemployment levels of Southern Europe, 
the low growth rates of Europe generally, labor participation in Germany is lower than it is in the United States. I'll repeat that. Labor participation in Germany is lower than it is in the United States. And the labor participation in the U.S. is still way below its long-term trend of historically. So what does that mean for Spain or France or Italy? It's vastly lower, vastly lower than found in the United States. So if Germany is the model, and they're, they have lower labor participation than we do, and we're suffering on that measure, then how can you expect to have dynamic economies that fully employ people and are uh, meet the basic requirements of an effective government, namely that welfare is enhanced over time? You mentioned something. I'm, 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 I'm not speaking of government handouts welfare. I'm speaking of the welfare of the people. You mentioned a, a term, virtue signaling. Yes. You want to explain that? Well, virtue signaling, in its essence, I mean, you can find it everywhere in the media, in the United States, and elsewhere, is where you. Uh, champion a concept, but there is no cost for you personally, okay? So, uh, let's, let's take the example of immigration, all right? If I am championing, uh, in the case of the United States, Mexican immigration, and you know, more of it, the better kind of attitude, um, and then foisting the costs of that to my uh, on my fellow citizens at no significant extra cost to me, that's a kind of virtue signaling. If, on the other hand, I am championing the cost of Mexican immigrants and I'm inviting, say, uh, three families of five or six people into my own home and I'm paying for all of that, that's real sacrifice. That's not virtue signaling. That's putting my money where my mouth is. But that's not what they do, right? They say, I'm good, you're bad, because I'm in favor of this, and by the way, you're going to pay for it. Right. Uh, Rick, I want to thank you for... Uh... Whether you like it or not. <laughs> Rick, uh, thanks for uh, uh, joining us here on The Philosophical Angle, and we'll see everybody next week on the new topic. Thank you. Thank you for joining us on the Philosophical Angle podcast. Be sure to subscribe and join us for the next installment.